0: Five, four, three, two,
1: one. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insiders view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and may comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie to get all up in your business.
0: Thank you, Son Gray. Before we start, I want to let you know if you miss any part of today's show or want to hear it again or share it. There's a way, and Gray will tell you how.
1: Listen to all UIYB past and present interviews by going to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel the Arkansas Democrat Gazette digital newspaper, flagandbanner.com's website, or subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen by searching Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And if you would like to receive timely email notifications of each week's upcoming guests, go to flagandbanner.com, click Radio Show, and join the email list. Back to you, Carrie.
0: Thank you, Gray. My guest today is retired 13th Sergeant Major of the Army, Kenneth Preston. For 36 years, the sergeant major served in many positions and on many assignments, but it is his last position that gave him his retiring title and made him the longest-serving sergeant major of the Army with more than seven years at that post. You may be asking yourself, what is a sergeant major? Because that's what I did. I've learned that in that role, Preston served as the Army Chief of Staff's personal advisor on all soldier and family-related matters. His focus was on soldiers' training and their quality of life. Much of the time, Preston traveled and helped Army leaders at all levels with their responsibilities. To name a few, unit training, manning, and equipment challenges. In addition, he assisted and spoke with soldiers and their families to help them understand the needs, personal hardships, and challenges that come from serving a nation at war. Sergeant Major Preston is also a co-author of the book titled Breaching the Summit, a book focused on the leadership experiences of him and five other former senior enlisted advisors. The book was released in May of 2018. Joining us today is a past guest of UIYB, retired Lieutenant Colonel David Cooper, President of the Association of the United States Army, an educational and professional nonprofit that supports soldiers and families of past, present, and future, think ROTC, soldiers. It is a pleasure to meet, and welcome to the table, Sergeant Major of the Army, Kenneth Preston.
2: Thanks, Carrie. Glad to be here.
0: When I read in your bio, um, a nation at war, most people don't consider us that. Can you explain that?
2: Sure. And, you know, if you look at uh, the time that I had the opportunity to serve as Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, January 2004, I was, um, I was prior to that the 5th Corps Sergeant Major in Iraq. So I was the Senior Sergeant Major in Iraq uh, with the combined Joint Task Force 7 when General Pete Schoomaker, who was the Chief of Staff of the Army, uh, selected me to come back and 15th of January, 2004, I was sworn into that position. And then I stayed in that position until March of 2011. So those were some very tough times, you know, for our Army and for our nation. Um, With the amount of soldiers that we had deploying at that time, we had 150,000 soldiers in Iraq and uh, 30,000 plus in Afghanistan. So a lot of soldiers training and deploying and, of course, redeploying, coming back, resetting. And then getting ready for that next deployment. When I joined the army, I enlisted in the army right out of high school. Um, so I graduated from high school in May of 1975. Uh, the 30th of June, I shipped off the basic training, and, uh, and then continued to serve until you know March of 2011s um, when I came out of the position, and then. Yeah, you know, it was uh, you know, just after my 36th anniversary of June of 2011 that I actually retired.
0: So do you call all of those years active duty?
2: It was all active duty.
0: Yeah. I, when I think of active duty, I think of like at the front.
2: We deployed to Kuwait in um, October, November of 2002 uh, to begin preparations for a possible invasion. Of course, March of 2003, uh, 19 March, we, uh, we launched the invasion. And then I was the senior SAR major there all the way through the end of two thousand three.
0: Um, so when you did enlist on June thirtieth, nineteen seventy five, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, is, he's you know, smiling. This is radio. He's smiling. Yeah, this is yes. this, this is a good story. This yeah. is a good oh, story. good.
2: <laughs> so so th- this goes back to you know why why did I join the army and um, you know so I was a senior in high school. I was academic. Uh, kind of expected to go on and go to college, but uh, you know reality sets in. You know I knew that I wasn't going to get an academic scholarship. Um, I was a great baseball player. I mean my dreams were to, you know, play center field for the New York Yankees, um, but but I knew I wasn't going to get an, an an athletic scholarship to go to school. So um, of course my my girlfriend and I we were dating at that time. Uh, both of us were seniors in high school. And um, so we talked about all the things that we wanted to do in life. And uh, so I made the decision in, in February of 1975 to join the Army. And my intent was to go in the Army, spend my four years, get out, go to college, and become an architect. Uh, so I took the oath of enlistment in March of 75, so I was delayed entry. And like I said, graduated the, uh, the end of May and I went in the Army in June. And, and in between that, I uh, got married. So as I went in as a, as a, as a married soldier.
0: Busy dude. <laughs> you still married the same lady?
2: Still married. Yeah, so here it is now, you know, 44 years later, uh, three children. Eight uh, grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You, re- you read my bio. <laughs>
0: um, you were only going to stay four years. You stayed 36 years.
2: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought I was going to make the Army a career. And there, and there was a point in there where, you know, I was going to get out. Um, my first duty station was Fort Hood, Texas. And and this is one of the things that we talked about. And, you know, growing up up in the Appalachian Mountains, and these are, you know, small little towns tucked away in the mountains back there. uh, Really, we wanted to see the world. And uh, so I intentionally picked Texas as my first duty station. So Fort Hood, Texas uh, was where I went to first, First Cavalry Division, arrived there in November of 1975. And So after I finished initial entry training at Fort Knox, you know, literally, I went back to Maryland, packed up my wife, and, um, you know, we had a station wagon. I still remember it. You know, it was a 1971 Ford country sedan wagon that, and and off we went. You know, we drove to Texas. My mom rode with us because she was worried about us. You know, we're both 18 years old. From Maryland? From Maryland. Mm -hmm. Yep. So 1,600 miles. I still remember that, too. (laughs) Drove to Fort Hood, went down there. We found a place, an apartment. You know, I signed in, and... Uh, at that point, I was I was a you know a PV2, private, second class.
0: Everything's acronyms in the military. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
2: so, so initially, when you go in the army as enlisted soldier, you start out as a private E1. That's pay grade. Pay grade's E1. And uh, for me, when I finished uh, eight weeks of basic and then eight weeks of advanced individual training as an armor crewman, tanks, um, I was automatically promoted to PV2. So I was now an E2. So I got a pay raise. Uh, so I reported into my unit, and uh, so the the Second Battalion, Eighth Cav, at that time was uh, was an experimental unit. Uh, the The First Cavalry Division had just come out of Vietnam. Um, you know, they were an Air Cav Division in Vietnam, and they had just gone through this transformation to be a ground maneuver division, which is what they are today. Of course, while we were there, you know, we were doing a lot of testing for the Army to. Determine what the Army needed to look like for the Cold War. Um, So we were experimenting with, uh, at that time, there were five tanks in a tank platoon, and we were experimenting with three tanks in a tank platoon. Uh, We did, uh, we had dune buggies, we had motorcycles, you know, for our reconnaissance elements. We um, also did some testing for the Army um, the basic armor reliability test, the, the BART test, as it was called was designed to determine if it was better to invest money into the older tank systems or did we now have to invest and build what we now have today as the Abrams tank. So, um, yeah, so we had, uh, you know, the M48A5 tanks. We had M60A1s. Well,
0: no wonder you stayed in. You had like a million toys you just <laughs> listed. It was. I mean, my husband <laughs> would go crazy with dune buggies and guns.
2: It was. And, uh, you know, as I tell everybody, I, because I was a scout for a while and, uh, you know, the Army was paying me to ride dirt bikes.
0: But this is 1975. You weren't deployed, to, I think you said a minute ago, until 2003. So what did you do for 20 years besides <laughs> ride dune buggies and play with guns?
2: So so what the Army does is it's all about readiness and it's it's training mm-hmm. and it's growing leaders. And, you know, for me, I was... Yeah, I rose through the ranks very quickly and, you know, as a, as a young specialist and then a sergeant, you mm-hmm. know, I reached the rank of sergeant at, at two years. And, you know, as, as a leader of that unit, you know, you're training and you're growing the next generation of soldiers that are coming in behind you. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that, that I learned. I mean, if you would have told me when I was in high school, because I was very much an introvert, I was the quiet, shy kid that sat all the way in the back of the classroom. And, and, and even with... Kids that I had been in school with since I was six years old. My high school went from first grade to twelfth grade. Um, you know, when I was a senior in high school, we had you know seventy eight in our graduating class. There was there was only about eight hundred and thirty kids in the whole school. So so even though I was in school with kids of you know I'd known since I was six, I'd known my wife since she was six. Um, you know, I was afraid to stand up and you know speak publicly. Um, in the classroom and and one of the things that the Army did for me was it it gave me that confidence and and it really comes down the confidence and um, you know the commitment to be able to do things to be able to teach to be able to take what I had learned as a young private as a private first class and as a specialist and now take that knowledge and use it to grow that next generation of soldiers that were coming in behind me
0: speaking of uh, learning how do you teach a soldier to learn to harness his fears?
2: It's, um, the, the best way to do that is repetition. And see, this gets into your question about, you know, what, what, what was I doing for 20 years? And, mm-hmm. and you know, just take like the, the, the BART test that we did. Okay, so we would spend about 30 days out in the field training. Okay, so, you know, with tanks, I mean, you've got maneuver, you've got gunnery. Uh, so, so you go through and you do the training on that on that equipment, and then you know you would come back in. We'd have about two weeks to to reset the equipment, and then we'd be gone again for another 45 days. So, so when you live and work on a piece of equipment, you you know that piece of equipment. Like it's like back driving a hand.
0: car. Nobody has to tell me to step on the brake.
2: Sure, and that's as an individual operator, okay? So as an operator, but imagine now a tank is is, is what I call is like a giant robot. And, and you have four operators inside that vehicle. And, and all four of those people have to know what the other person's thinking and doing. I mean, the driver has to know when to keep a steady platform while the gunner is trying to engage and lay on to another target, while the tank commander is giving a fire command and directions for the loader and at the same time firing, you know, a 50-caliber machine gun on top. So you have all these different things going on, and, and literally you have seconds. Um, to react and you know on the battlefield you know in in tank-on-tank warfare uh, if you're exposed and you're out in the open you have about 10 seconds and uh, so it takes a lot of training to become very very competent and proficient with that piece of equipment.
0: Some of the newer recruits that go in do they get the kind of training you had? Absolutely. If I was a new recruit signing up today how long would it take me to get trained?
2: Well, you would start out, uh, and it'd be progressive. And it's interesting. Oh. I had one of these, I, I was asked this question, you know, back in, um, you know, 1978. I went before the, uh, the Sergeant Morales Club board, and at that time, you know, we were opening um, some of the positions in the Army. Artillery, as an example, was being open to women to be served. And I was asked that exact question about, you know, how does, you know, how would women coming into organization, you know, learn the things that I knew as a tank commander? And I said, well, you know, you start out as, as a loader on the tank and, and you learn the responsibilities of being a loader, just like driving a car. And, and of course, it's going through doing multiple field problems and gunneries. And, of course, then as you get promoted, then you get moved up to become the driver. And then you get to be the driver. Now you're driving, you know, hundreds of miles cross country and, you know, road marches and all the rest of it. So, cause you, and you already now know what the loader does and, and you learn what the driver does and then you move up and you become the gunner. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, you know, as you're the gunner, now you're kind of coaching and mentoring the driver. You're coaching and mentoring the driver. how long a
0: period of time does this take, take you to do this? A year?
2: For each of these positions.
0: Mm-hmm. Or to get, you know, to move through the progression?
2: No, no, no. It takes years. Oh, I mean, years. It takes,
0: yeah, wow. so for
2: me to grow from, you know, and I, I was a fast mover. I mean, at the time, mm-hmm. you know, 1975 in the Army, I mean, we were probably – you know, manned at about maybe 60% strength at Fort Hood, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit above that. But so there was lots of opportunities to get promoted. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was always vacancies and, and I was always in, you know, a, a position that was more senior to me. So I had the opportunity to step up as a young specialist and, and be a, the gunner on a, on a tank. Mm-hmm. Usually the gunner, you know, the lowest rank would be like a sergeant, but but I was a gunner on the battalion commander's tank as a specialist. And uh, so, yeah, you know, when you're doing lots of things and you're very, very active, I mean, you learn through experience.
0: So it's, it's kind of person, each person, how fast they learn. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's take a quick break. We've got to get to a bunch of stuff. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with retired Sergeant Major Kenneth Preston. We'll ask about his tour of Iraq, his duties as the longest running Sergeant Major of the Army. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll be back after the break.
1: You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And in 2014, Brave Magazine a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcasts. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting, inspiring, and educational. Stay up to date by going to flagandbanner.com and joining our email list. You'll receive our popular Water Cooler Weekly email that notifies you of upcoming guests, sales at flagandbanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, The theflagandbanner.com. Back
0: to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with the 13th and retired Sergeant Major of the Army, Kenneth Preston, and co-author of the five-star book, Breaching the Summit. Before the break, we talked about military life, how he got into it, why you should join, how you get trained, what great opportunities it is for everybody. Um, In the 36 years in service with the many commanders and the chiefs that you've had, I've always wanted to ask somebody this question. I've never asked anybody this. You can't agree with every commander in chief that gets voted in. I've always wondered how service personnel handle the politics of America when the people vote. And it could possibly change the course of your life and your safety. Tell us how you handle these changes, especially when you may not agree with them.
2: Well, I say that, um, you know, for all of us in the military, we're, you know, apolitical. We're down the middle of the road. And, and regardless of what administration comes in, we're loyal to the president. And, um, you know, when, when we take uh, the oath of enlistment, uh, we take an oath not to the president or administration. We take it to the Constitution. And um, so, you know, our oath is to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And that, that's one of the things I think that, that sets us as Americans and particularly our American military apart from any other country around the world. And, and that's what we believe in is that Constitution.
0: In your bio, you had two full paragraphs of enlisted leadership positions and assignment from cavalry scout and tank commander, which we just talked about, to your final position as sergeant major of the Army, 36 years, seven as a sergeant major, so that leaves 19. How much of that was spent in active duty and over which wars?
2: for me as an enlisted soldier coming up to the ranks, you know, we, we talked about, you know, me rising up to the rank of Sergeant as, as a, as a gunner. And of course that was at Fort Hood, Texas. And, and then, you know, it was, it was a period in there where, you know, I came down on assignment instructions to go to Germany. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, we, my wife and I had started a family, we had two children. And I had to, I had to make a decision. You know, I had about 14 months left remaining on my four year obligation and I could go to Germany and, and do my 14 months and then get out, allow Karen and the kids to go back and live with her mom and dad until I got there. And then, you know, we talked about it. The plan was to go back and live in a mobile home back on the farm, work the farm part-time for some money and go to school full-time. Uh, but then, you yeah, know, we talked about, um, you know, and, and this is what I always say, there's, there's three reasons why soldiers re-enlist and stay in the Army. Uh, one is, is command climate. You know the leadership that you work for if it's positive and you enjoy what you're doing and going to work i mean you're going to stay with the team second thing was uh, was job satisfaction and and for me i was i was on tanks i was having fun doing we were training we we're out i mean that's what i came in the army to do i was a scout on motorcycles job satisfaction and i was valued for what i did and the work that i provided but the third thing was quality of life and quality of life you know not just for me as an individual but you know for my family and the quality of life that I was able to provide for them was as good or better than what I could provide back at hometown USA so we talked about it and I re enlisted I re enlisted for you know another 3 years and this is so I could take the family with me to to Germany and we did and you know what a wonderful experience for you know at this point we're 20 years old so you got two 20 year olds with two little babies and, um, you know, we go to Germany for three years. So we have a chance to see Europe, live over there. and uh,
0: Those three things you just mentioned, the quality of the leadership, the enjoyment, the task of your job, and the quality of your life, don't just apply to jobs in the military. They apply to jobs everywhere. Those are three three of the reasons people work everywhere.
2: Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and And one of the things that, you know, is – you know, the, the command climate that you work under. And it starts with a with a first-line supervisor, mm-hmm. and it really goes up through the chain of command, you know, the, the, that officer chain of leadership. Uh, and, I, and I say it goes up as high as the the, the, the first uh, general officer in the chain of command, which is usually a, a division commander. Mm-hmm. And then also your NCO support chain. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, those first-line NCOs that you work for, and, you know, that positive environment that you work in is what sets the stage for you to continue to serve,
0: and nobody wants to follow a negative leader. I mean, positivity is the reason people are leaders. In Iraq, on that tour of duty, tell us what you did there.
2: So you know, so coming up through the ranks. So in um, 2002, when we deployed um, to Kuwait, and you know, we did the preparations, and of course, we were given the you know the order to to launch the invasion. So I was the the fifth Corps Command Sergeant Major at that time. So. You know, I, I, was, I was promoted to, um, I, I served as a battalion sergeant major at Fort Hood from 1996 to 97. Uh, I was a brigade sergeant major from 97 to 99. I was a division star major um, from 99 to like 2001, and then the Corps sergeant major. So I served in all those different uh, command sergeant major assignments at different levels of command. So 5th Corps is, is a three-star level command. And it's the headquarters that is designed to do the command and control of four or five divisions. And a division's about 18,000 soldiers. So four or five divisions on the ground, plus all the other enablers, you know, the combat support and service supports, um, you know, sustainment kind of mm-hmm. units that you have on the ground. So so for, for Iraq, it was 150,000 soldiers um, on the ground. So I was the senior SAR major. So every day, you know, in Iraq, my my role was really to go out and spend time at the brigade level. So it was the brigade combat teams. uh, It was the sustainment brigades. Each day I went to a different brigade. And I would spend the entire day going through each of those battalions within that brigade, uh, ensuring they were doing all the right things. And, you know, because I knew what the the plans were, um, the commander's intent at the the core level, and then, really, I was able to get down at the brigade level to ensure, you know, those orders, the guidance and everything, how it was being interpreted.
0: So um, you met with the leaders to make sure the leaders were doing it right, interpreting it right, following procedure, and that everybody was being safe.
2: Sure. And and not just the leaders. It was a chance to go down to the lowest level. You know, it was the, the private that was down in. know the second platoon of bravo company i know that
0: had to be rewarding
2: it was it was wonderful it was uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to get out and and see soldiers on the ground and and to be able to understand this really gets at what i did also as the sergeant major of the army it was you know decisions that were made in that headquarters you know what was the second third and fourth order effects of those decisions that were being made in a headquarters as it was impacting soldiers on the ground for the mission in which they had to And escape. if
0: you want to find out what's going on, you go and ask the people in the trenches. That's right. You and don't ask management, what's going on over there? You go down and you ask the guy down there on the line or wherever what's going on. So I think everybody needs to know this because even my staff doesn't always remember this. Soldiers are only Army personnel. A lot of people think soldiers means service men of all kinds. I have made that mistake before, and I think that's an interesting little tidbit that I think my listeners would like to know. Soldiers are only Army. Yep. Your medals are long, and I would like to name a few and have you tell us how you got them. <laughs> so I can't name them all because it really is two paragraphs. Distinguished Service Medal, the Legion of Merit with Oak Leaf Clusters. You got a Bronze Star Medal. What was that for?
2: Uh, Bronze Star Medal was for Iraq. So that was uh, you know, for you know, meritorious service in a combat uh, zone.
0: You got lots of meritorious service medals. You got a Kosovo campaign medal.
2: Yeah, I spent, uh, when I was the division sergeant major for the 1st Armored Division, which at that time was based in Germany, uh, we spent from 2000 to 2001 in Kosovo. We were there for a year. So we did the, what was called the, the 2 Alpha, 2 Bravo rotation in Kosovo.
0: You got lots of global war on terrorism medals. Mm-hmm. Kuwaiti Liberation Medal.
2: So that was also that was part of um, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and Operation Positive Force. So if you look at um, you know Desert Storm, so this goes back to October 1990 when you know we started deploying troops into you know Saudi Arabia. 82nd Airborne was was launched into Saudi Arabia to defend Saudi Arabia because Iraq had invaded Kuwait. And then uh, of course uh, February of 91, Desert Storm drove the Iraqi army out of Kuwait back into Iraq. And then I was with the uh, the 11th Cavalry Regiment, which was one of the two cavalry regiments that patrolled the east-west German border, Czechoslovakian border in Germany. So 5th Corps, the 11th Cav, were two units that didn't deploy for, initially for Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. But we were given the mission right at the end of Desert Storm to deploy. And so the 11th Cav deployed into Saudi Arabia and then into Kuwait. And we became the security force while everybody pulled out of Iraq to reestablish the border between Iraq and Kuwait, and then to put out all the oil well fires. So, so Operation Positive Force is the the third Bronze Star on the Southwest Asia Service Medal. So, uh, and it included also, um, you know, we we had support, we had helicopters up in the north supporting mm-hmm. the Kurds at that time. Mm-hmm. So it was a humanitarian relief effort as well.
0: I think you may have already talked about this. How. Did- Did the sergeant major position come about and why is it important? On the Wikipedia page, it says about you, and I quote, As sergeant major of the Army, Preston served as the Army chief of staff's personal advisor on all soldier and family-related matters, particularly areas affecting soldier training and quality of life. He devoted the majority of his time to traveling throughout the Army, serving as force provider, overseeing soldier and unit training, manning and equipment challenges, and talking to soldiers and their families to understand their personal hardships and challenges. We don't have enough time to go over those. But one that I would kind of like, and I think you spoke to a lot of these, but I would kind of like to ask you about helping soldiers and families with understanding and navigating their personal hardships. What is their biggest challenge, and how did you overcome it?
2: Sure. And— you know, for us, particularly during those years from two thousand four to two thousand eleven, you know, we had lots of challenges. We had um, you know, units that spent twelve months in combat would come back, and of course, you know, the unit would reset. Uh, commanders that were assigned to that unit would leave to go on to their next assignment. Uh, non commissioned officers, soldiers in that unit, if they were like, as an example, stationed in Germany and they were assigned to one of the Germany units, you know, if they completed their three years over there, I mean, they rotate back to conus. And in many cases, they would go to a unit that was getting ready to redeploy. so so it created lots of challenges. And, and as I think back now, as we're talking, um you know probably the biggest challenge we had was was uh, child care mm. um, because you know when you deploy uh, a soldier, you leave a single spouse with a family at home. and and many of them had careers of their own. so, uh, for us, and it wasn't just the Army, and you know, you, you know, we have soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen out there, and uh, for, for all the services during that time, you know, child care was one of those huge challenges, and so one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was to testify before Congress, and usually every February or March, all the senior list advisors would go over to Capitol Hill, and there was a period in there for about two years, and and we were asked, on this subcommittee, we would always be asked, what's your number one, number two issue for, you know, your soldiers? And, um, and and we would usually try to meet a couple weeks in advance to kind of talk about what our number ones and number twos were. But where we could come together and say, this is our number one, united across all the services. And for two years, it was child care. And, and Congress was very, very good at supporting our military. And, you know, we had... I know just in the army there were you know 70 you know child development centers that were built across the army.
0: That's how you that's how you overcame it was build child development centers for the army?
2: Well that was one of those challenges that that soldiers and families were facing at that time and you know what's what's the things that you can do to take some of that stress off the force help with the child care child care was a big one absolutely.
0: This, this is a great place to take a break when we come back we'll continue our conversation with retired sergeant major kenneth preston we'll ask what leadership means to him and about the book he co-authored breaching the summit we'll also ask preston and joining us lieutenant colonel david cooper talk and give details about the 40th birthday event coming up for the arkansas chapter of the association of the u.s army we'll be back after the break
1: Flag and Banner.com is proud to sponsor Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Housed in a 100-year-old building in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, we offer an old-school variety shopping experience with free front-door parking, friendly experts, and department store variety. Come in and check out our new fall and winter decor. Our seasonal garden banners and door hangers add holiday cheer to any walkway. Can't make it downtown? Don't worry, the internet is always open. You can browse our website 24-7 and live chat during office hours with customer service representatives that are eager to help you. And if online shopping isn't your thing, our customer service experts are available by phone
0: six days a week. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, be flagandbanner.com. I'm speaking today with retired 13th Sergeant Major of the Army, Kenneth Preston, co-author of the book, Breaching the Summit which is a five-star rating on Amazon. I want to ask you real quick about that uh, book. You co-authored this book called Breaching the Summit. How and why did that come about?
2: So um, there's, there's six of us and we're all best friends and, and we all serve together as the senior enlisted advisors in our positions at the same time. So in that book, you've got uh, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, retired Mike Barrett. Uh, you have master chief petty officer of the Navy, Rick West. You have chief master sergeant of the Air Force, Jim Roy. You have master chief petty officer of the Coast Guard, Skip Bowen. And you have the the senior enlisted advisor for the National Guard Bureau, uh, chief master sergeant, retired Denise Jelinski-Hall. And so all six of us, you know, we're best friends. And you know, so we kind of came together, and Were you uh, in the
0: Pentagon together?
2: We are. We all we're all in the Pentagon together. You know, Mike kind of came in at the tail end of my my term, uh, but yeah, we were all together. So after after the army, after we retired, uh, we had a chance to come together and form uh, a little group, a, a consulting group called Summit Six. And uh, so we would come together periodically and try to do some consulting kind of things. And but but one of the things who did that, you consult?
0: Businesses or.
2: Uh, military advisors. Military advisors. Yeah, okay, so we, we serve as military advisors. And so so one of them said, you know, we were just sitting around probably drinking a, an adult beverage, but we were probably mm-hmm. sitting around one evening and someone said, you know, we ought to write a book because we were telling war stories. And, you know, all this, you know, wisdom that we had gained throughout our military careers. Um, and somebody else said, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've got a full-time job. But I cons- I agreed. We all said we would do it. And we all put together 50 pages um, that make up this book.
0: Each of you wrote 50 pages?
2: That, that was our goal, we put together 50 pages. What was the story you told? I think all of us started out with, uh, with an introduction chapter of how we grew up as kids. You know, me, I grew up, you know, delivering newspapers and all those kind of things. On a farm. Um, and then, you know, of course, how, how we ended up in the military. And then from there, uh, you know, my focus was on uh, really what I learned about leadership in my first six years in the Army. Because what I learned in those first six years, my my, my time at Fort Hood and, and those three years I spent in Germany, really set the foundation for my success for the rest of my Army career. What did you learn? Well, I learned really the fundamentals about, um, you know, taking someone, and, you know, the Army is, and like all of our services, I mean, you bring people in from diverse, diversity, you know, diverse corners of the country, you know, and... Um, and and you bring them in and you mold them into a team, and it was uh, you know it was one of the most inspirational things that uh, you know you you learn very quickly that you know leading by example is one of those things that has the most immediate impact on you know people who are coming in from you know I've got you know soldiers that that come in from Puerto Rico or soldiers that come in from from Guam Hawaii from you know Huntsville Alabama to you know Maine you know you got people coming in from all across the country, all different backgrounds and beliefs. But when you lead by example is one of those things that I found. And, and of course, I became a teacher. You know, I wanted to be a teacher. And, and then all the things that I learned as a young soldier coming through the ranks, I wanted to teach them to be as good or better than what I was. Leading by example.
0: One, Give me another something you learned.
2: So lead by example. And then the other thing, too, is um, never leave your unit Worse than what it was, you know. When you come into an organization, you know, you look for things to to improve. You know, you want to leave the organization better than it was than you got there.
0: I have a friend who told her son that whenever you rent a house, I want you to leave that house better than it was when you got there. I can't say that very many college kids do that. <laughs> yeah.
2: See, and that was one of those things. I mean, as I look back, all the houses I rent, I'd like to think that you know, whether it was government quarters or the houses that you know we rented, even the mobile home that we lived in at. at in clean Texas, you know, we left it better than it was than we moved in.
0: I think that that is almost a definition of a leader is a person who's always improving everywhere, their surroundings, their processes, their relationships. I don't think that leaders can stop improving on everything around themselves.
2: Uh, you know, one of the other things I'll leave you with is a mm-hmm. thought and, you know, and that, that piece about improving yourselves is, you know, uh, one of the things we used to teach was the eleven traits of being a leader, Ooh. and one of those, lead by example. But the other one I'll leave you with that I found being very important was um, know yourself and seek self-improvement, and and to be to be a good uh, evaluator of yourself, and and to know your weaknesses and know your strengths, and and while it's good to capitalize on the strengths, you know the weaknesses you have to work, you know work on really hard.
0: Vince Lombardi said, leaders are made. They are not born
2: that's correct. they're They're grown, and that's that's one of the things that i that I love about the army is is how we grow and develop leaders. and you know as I, and I'm a classic example of just being the average soldier you know who grew up in small town, USA, uh, who came in the Army and you know the Army gave me lots of opportunities. It changed my life, it changed my family's
0: life. If you could do it over again, what would you do different?
2: I don't think I'd change anything. You know, even even now you look back on the mistakes that you make, you know, one of the things that I love about the Army is, you know, you make mistakes, but, you know, they, they pick you up, they dust you off, they say, okay, don't do that again, and and you learn from those mistakes and you move forward. And, you know, as, as David and I was talking here a few minutes ago, I showed him a picture of me in 1979. You know, I was a tank commander. So, so what else in the world where— of course, a tank back then was probably only about three hundred fifty thousand know, dollars. Only, it's, yeah, it's it's like about nine million dollars now for an M1. Are A2. you kidding me? <laughs> but but I but had no idea. But to take a sergeant with four years of experience in the army and and to entrust them with not only that piece of equipment and and the value of that piece of equipment, but but also to the um, the training and the development of of three soldiers, you know, our, our nation's youth, and uh, you know, it's just. A wonderful opportunity and as i look across the army i mean there's there's 150 different career fields but but the professional development of soldiers in the army is exactly the same so whether you're in tanks you're mm-hmm. in infantry or you're a medic um or you're a logistician a supply uh, person i mean it's you know the development there and how we grow soldiers in the army is all exactly the same
0: and uh i think you said this a second ago learning how to manage failures is a part of uh growth and I think some people don't grow because they have this fear of failure that somehow devalues them when actually it's your failures that you learn the most from, unfortunately. And uh, learning how to manage those is very important to a leader because they're going to happen. They happen to everybody who's trying anything. Sure. Uh, We've got to take one more quick break, and um, when we come back, We're going to talk with Lieutenant Colonel David Cooper. We're going to talk and give details about the 40th birthday event coming up for the Arkansas chapter of the Association of the U.S. Army. We'll be back right after the break.
3: Friends of Dreamland are proud to sponsor Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Dreamland Ballroom, located on the third floor of the Flag and Banner.com building in the historic Taborian Hall, is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing back the music, the history, and the party of the Dreamland Ballroom. Our annual fundraiser, Dancing Into Dreamland, will be a tournament of past champions to celebrate the 10th year. Mark Friday, November 15th at 7 p.m. on your calendar. The night will include a dance competition where audience members text their votes for their favorite acts, a silent auction, free hors d'oeuvres, cash bar, and your opportunity to experience the magic and imagine the music of the legends that played on the Dreamland stage, like Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles, Louis Armstrong, and many more. Tickets available at dreamlandballroom.org for the 10th Annual Dancing into Dreamland. Be a part of the history of Dreamland.
0: You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the highly decorated and longest-running Sergeant Major of the Army, Kenneth Preston, who co-authored the book, Breaching the Summit, and with Lieutenant Colonel David Cooper, President of the Arkansas Association of the United States Army. Hello, David.
4: Hello, Carrie. How are you doing?
0: Fine. So, David was my guest He's my reoccurring guest. He was on Up in Your Business with me about a year ago in the month of November, because November is military month, and I knew David as a friend, and so I asked him to come on. You were in Vietnam, helicopter pilot.
4: Well, we talked about Veterans Day, 11th November, 11th hour.
0: Oh Yeah, what did you say? Tell me that what was, that means. That
4: was the end of World War I, and that's how, why we served.
0: On November the 11th. 11th month. 11th hour. 11th hour. 11th day. 11th day.
4: Pharmacist was done.
0: Pharmacist Day.
4: And then it was changed to Veterans Day. I forgot
0: that. Um, so, the Arkansas chapter of the Association for the United States Army is having its 40th birthday celebration.
4: We had a birthday party. Our guest speaker was uh, Sergeant Major of the Army, Ken Preston. And let me just stop here with that because... Uh, I believe in our Army, one of the strongest parts of our American Army is our NCOs and our sergeants that we have, and Sergeant Major Preston exemplifies that. Absolutely. And you think this last uh, 30 or 5 minutes or whatever, you can see why we we are the best Army in the world, and it's because of our NCOs. And uh, talking to soldiers, when you talk about their mentors and what they look up to, It's going to be the sergeant major, whether it's at the division or the sergeant major of the Army. Whatever their sergeant major is, that's their leader. And he was gracious enough to come to Arkansas and be our guest speaker at our birthday celebration.
0: So tell everybody what you told me the Association of the United States Army is, AUSA. What does it do?
4: Well, it's a professional educational nonprofit, and we support our soldiers, our families, both present and past, and in the future with our JROTC program. We're reaching out to the soldiers. We support them in Washington, but here in Arkansas, we support them locally. We we have a visit for our JROTC throughout the year. And we, we uh, work with their summer camp program. We work with the soldiers. We work with a recruiting command here in town. So it's, uh, it's both to educate our civilian life, our people that were need to be educated about the
0: military. So I went on the, everything's in acronyms. I've said that a couple times in this interview, and (laughs) before we went on, I'm like, gosh, I'm going to learn all these military acronyms to do this show today. So the AUSA, and it's a nonprofit educational and professional development association serving America's total army, our soldiers, army civilians, and their families and our industry partners and supporters. AUSA provides a voice for the Army, supports the soldiers, and honors those who have served in order to advance the security of the nation. And then it had two highlighted mission statements as that are, AUSA educates its members, the public, industry, and Congress, which you said you you testified in front of Congress, about the critical nature of land warfare and the army's central role in national defense. Number 2, AUSA connects the army to the American people at the national, regional and chapter level. So, David, you're president of the Arkansas chapter here.
4: You're right. We we support the reserves, active duty and the National Guard.
0: Is it only open to army personnel?
4: No, it's open to everybody. Yep. In everybody. fact, remember you you are a, you're a community partner. You yes. can be a part of Yes, this. I am. And you can be a civilian <clears throat> and you can be a military person. the The number thing is, you just want you want to support the military. Army military. If and you just
0: want to support the Army military, you can be a part of this. Yes, you can. And are you talking about financially, uh, uh, with your time? We, we
4: We have dues, which I want to say they're very reasonable. They are side. reasonable. twenty dollars a year.
0: Very but reasonable..
2: Yeah. So, and what I tell people too is, I, you know, I had a I had a fourteen year old Girl Scout come up to me after I finished doing a presentation, and she said, "I want to join AUSA," and she said, "Can I do that?" And I said, "Well, as we have two criteria," I said, "One, if you believe in a strong national defense, and you love soldiers, we've got a place for you in AUSA." So. You know, with that, I mean, we have, you know, we said the total Army. So you got the regular Army, the Army National Guard, and the Army Reserve. So we're one Army, three components. We've got family members. We've got retired soldiers. We've got veterans. Mm -hmm. Army civilians is a big part of our Army.
0: So how do people come out this weekend? How do they find out about it?
2: Well,
4: uh a website we do have a website we'll
0: put a link at flag and banner.com. tomorrow we'll put a link up can we
4: have a facebook page do you yeah. have a facebook yes page? we do and we can link you up that way I'll put it on flag and banner we'll
0: put the facebook page and we'll put the link to a registration form or just show yes, up we, we, on that link you'll be able to regist- registration form. um we're running out of time i have enjoyed talking to y'all well thank you for <laughs> what you do oh you're welcome i have so enjoyed it. i've got a present for you so, Sergeant Major Preston, oh, is it's a set with a Maryland flag. It's a desk set, U.S. Uh, Army, and a Maryland flag because you're from Maryland. And David, you already had those. I, I did. You took care of it, would you? But I still brought you something. It's a little token we sell at Arkansas Flag and Banner. It's just a little small paperweight that says, With service before self, honor, courage, and loyalty, soldiers defend our way of life, protecting freedom for you and me. That's your little gift. Thank you. Game. That's very
1: cool. Yeah. You're
0: very welcome. Thanks again for joining me and my guest today. For those listeners who might have a great entrepreneurial story they'd like to share, send a brief bio and your contact info to me, Carrie at flagandbanner.com, and someone will be in touch. And to all, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening. And if you haven't, you had not been listening. And that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
1: You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select Radio Show, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.